Welcome to the Holy Huga Podcast. I'm Jamie, your host, and I'm really glad you're here. I'm a wife and a mom of five who loves scruffy hospitality and intentional living. In this podcast, I dive into seven of the major pillars that create the popular Danish practice of Huga and how they intersect with the Christian faith. My prayer is that these conversations will help us both create homes that reflect the one whose spirit is making a home in us. Come on in. Hundreds of years ago, the Danish government granted small plots of rural land to industrial workers just so that they can go escape um, escape the crowded and often cruel conditions of urban life. And these little allotments provided them a place of rest, maybe some fresh air, and definitely a slower pace. The land provided the Danish people with just some tangible tools for caring for themselves and eventually for others. This was a simple practice of enjoying nature with family and friends and neighbors. And it actually continues in Denmark even today and definitely plays a vital role in their overall mental health. Now, if that little bit of random Danish trivia teaches us anything, it's this. A few simple outward changes to a person's life can have lasting effects on their social, emotional, physical, and I think even their spiritual potential, their well-being, and can eventually have some reverberating effects on the generations to come. Trillia Newbell is with me today, and together we're going to be unpacking this Hugely tenant of well-being that is at the very heart of the Danish lifestyle of Huga. So welcome to the show, Trillia. We're glad to have you. Glad to be here. Well, Trillia, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself for those listeners who are unfamiliar with maybe your ministry? Sure. Um, well, I am a writer and speaker. I've been writing for quite some time, and it's an absolute joy. Um, I I write a, a lot of different genres, so kids' books to adult Bible studies and trade books. And I also work for Moody Publishers, which is also delightful and such a joy. And I have two children, um, both teenagers, and have been married for 19 years. Wonderful. Well, I think for the sake of clarity as we get started, Trillia, I think it's important to define our terms. So when I use the phrase well-being, I'm actually referring to to two things. There's two arms to this, this idea of well-being, and it's the care of oneself and also the care of others, which seems very similar, but actually can take two different postures. So Trillia, if I may, I just want to start out by laying a little bit of groundwork for our discussion now that we know what well-being is. And I want us to concentrate on one particular verse as we have um, a conversation today. And it comes out of Zechariah 7, 9 through 10. And it reads, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppose the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So let's start out with the self-care part of well-being, Trillia. I think I think self-care kind of gets a bad rap in Christian circles because, to be honest, anything that starts with the word self feels kind of selfish. Do you, do, would you agree with that? 
Yeah, I, I do think that, and and let's be honest, often when we are using the term self-care, it can mean um, to the detriment of others. So I, I, it could be really self-focused. And so, though, I think we can, in a healthy way, um, exhibit and exercise self-care. So that could be anything from um, exercise, if we're talking about outward, uh, that can also, it's it's a part of taking care of our body, our temple. It could be um, things we, about what we ingest or, or what we don't take in. So there are a lot of different ways. It, I think even Bible reading can be a form of self-care. And so, yeah. And so there are different ways that I think we can um, and should as Christians exercise it in a way that is good and healthy and and biblical. It's just, I think sometimes we get hung up on the term because the term is a cultural term. And so we, when we're thinking about that term, we have to think, okay, we, what is it that, that we can and should do as Christians that is self-care? And here's the honest truth is we all do it. We are all taking care of ourselves in some way. So, um, so it's just the term I think is the the hang up, not the actual actions. <laughs> right. Just the the language that we give to it kind of trips us up. You said it's there are there are ways to walk out self-care in a biblical sense. Do you think that there's any particular um ideas or even people that maybe modeled that in scripture that we can look to to give us an, a healthy example of self-care? You know, this is such an interesting, I love this question because I, the first person that came to my mind was Jesus. <laughs> when he would, he would withdraw, he would withdraw to go and pray and be by himself. And that to me, I mean, there's lots of other, if we put it in the context, there are other reasons for this withdrawing. He was, he did not want to, his time wasn't ready. It wasn't time for him to, to be the to be crown king, et cetera, and people would want him to, so he would withdraw. There are other reasons, but often he would say, I'm withdrawing so I can pray. And so there is something, I think, about that withdrawing um, that we see uh, that is a is a part of caring uh, for yourself, needing, showing that we need God. We do the same, or we should. <laughs> we, we need time to rest. And um, even in the scriptures, he says, come to me all who are who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And so, so thinking of that, um, casting our burdens onto the Lord, there is something there that I think I see in Jesus himself, which is of, of course, our prime example of all of life, but where, where I would, I, again, I, I probably wouldn't use the word self-care, but I do think uh, caring for self is, is an element of that. And I think where we often go awry is, you know, if you look at the example of Jesus, yes, he did go away and withdraw to, um, you know, pray and even rehearse and recall the truth of God, but he never let that become a right or a demand. I didn't see that modeled, at least in his life, where, you know, if there was a need for the care of others, he let his desire to eclipse um, the care of others or even eclipse the the will of the Father, things that God would have, other things that God would have him do. I think he held 
that care of self rather loosely. And, and I think that really is the difference when we're demanding and when we're clutching and clawing for our right to care for ourselves. I think that's when it, when, you know, Satan has taken a good thing and has twisted it into something unhealthy and actually sinful. I would just add one thing, and not just Satan, we ourselves make idols out of ourselves and out of our needs and out of the things that we think we need. And so if something is an idol, um, we're going to we're going to do whatever we can do to get it, right? We're going to worship it. We're going to, and so that's where we have to be on guard, where Jesus, who was tempted in every way, but without sin, did not struggle with that, that, that he didn't. Um, and so, so that is where we have to guard because we, we can take things and elevate it in such a way that it becomes worship. And that is, um, that's where self-care can actually be harmful. Agreed. And and just to add to what you were saying, I think sometimes it is, you know, what are we reaching for in our self-care? Is it just temporarily appeasing an ache that we have? Or is it actually going to be something that is life-giving? An example of this would be, you know, I can say, I'm going to come up to my bedroom and binge a show of Netflix because I just need to have some rest and to, you know, get away. But is that really going to fill me up? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe my time would be best suited like digging into scripture or time in the word, time in prayer. So I think often it comes down to like, what are we reaching for as our balm to cure, you know, what ails us for lack of a better way to frame it. Um, I think that can often twist self-care into something unhealthy. Well, let's just shift gears for a second and maybe touch on the group care end of this well-being spectrum. We live in a very turbulent culture. I'm sure you would agree with that, Trillia. I'm not going to say unprecedented because if if you know your history, you know that every generation has suffered with some form of injustice and depravity and brokenness in some form or another because, you know, that is the nature of a fallen world. But thinking about this present moment, with any number of worthy causes that we could, you know, get behind and champion, what should be the spirit behind our care of others? Is is justice for justice's sake enough, or is there more to the story? I would say we have to go where God goes, and He commands us to love Him with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so if we are motivated in whatever we're doing by a true biblical love of neighbor, then we I, I think that is where we care and give and 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 spend our time and energy. And um you might get to this, but I will just say real quick is that we're not able to obviously care about everything in the world. So some I think sometimes people don't um I think sometimes people don't see prayer as an action, and that can be an incredible way of you're talking to the holy holy God. <laughs> it's such an active way of caring and loving your neighbor. So I just wanted to put that in as one really easy, practical thing that we can all do for our neighbor is to pray for them. Um, but with that said, I believe love is the is is the um 
motivator. It's what compels us. It is what moves us towards our other people. And it's what's going to guide us as we're thinking about justice or anything else. Um, love should be uh, top of mind. And heart. <laughs> when we receive, you know, any amount of inflammatory language or venom or hot takes, you know, especially on social media, love should move us to where can I seek peace here? Not that we lay down truth in that. Truth is still truth. But how can we respond in a loving way in order to reach for peace? As scripture says, you know, we are to be peaceful people. So um, I think one simple way to do that is to recognize that oftentimes, um, especially in a situation where somebody is coming at you with some harsh words, to recognize that hurt people hurt people and just stick around long enough to get to the root of the pain that is underlying some of the the anger or the the hurt. And, and pain we can work with, you know, we can, we can give gentleness and kindness. So we just have to stick around long enough and not return, you know, snark for snark and know that, you know, in their, in their hurt, oftentimes hurt comes out sideways in the form of anger. I also think that we need to let our reasonableness be known to all. So Philippians 4 says that. And I, I just think that often we, in our sinful nature, <laughs> just respond in anger. Um, and and I think there's a protection, there's a lot going on there. But if we are reasonable, knowing that God is at hand, and we don't have to be anxious, we don't have to be right, we don't have to win, then I do believe that's such an extension of love. Um, if we can ask God for self-control as we are um, in, in, interacting with other people. And, and you just never know what that will do to serve our neighbor um, as we're even thinking about their, thinking about well-being. Goodness, if someone is used to being attacked when they attack and you show love, I have experienced that where I, <laughs> I have shown love to someone who's you, and they're like, they don't know. They don't know how to respond, and usually it's wow, thank you, um, okay, and it shuts it down. And so I, I believe that this kind of um, soft answer turns away wrath. The, you know, this is true. The Lord, the Lord knew something. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yes, it's very compelling when you're expecting a particular response and it's actually something totally different. It really is striking and causes you to maybe take a breath or a beat. Um, absolutely, I've experienced that in my own life where you know I was expecting to receive harsh criticism back, and somebody just turned around with peace and life-giving words, and it it really did kind of straighten me out. How has caring for yourself helped you draw closer to Christ, Julia, and maybe helped maybe helped you draw others closer to Him? Yeah. Uh, well, there's it, so I'm going to define how I care for myself because I think that might be helpful. There's a few different ways. Um, I ex I try to exercise regularly because it gives me energy, which helps me serve my family. So it also you know helps me care for myself. So. Exercise for me is one way that I can care well for my family. Um, and, and then 
I I really do believe that time with the Lord is a self care that I I I mean I need Him. <laughs> I can't do anything without Him, and I maybe after maybe it's taken a few years, but I just have recognized that more and more. And um, so re- regular time in the Word it it helps me to respond well to others around me and to think rightly, like, well, how should I think about this? Um, and to get a biblical worldview. So, but also to know the Lord and, um, and to, to receive his grace and just all the things that comes with reading daily. So for me, that's another form of self-care and it helps me, especially as I'm discipling my children, as I'm trying to love and serve my church and my, um, husband and just my coworkers. <laughs> and so so that's another thing. I uh, I tend to um try to sabbath. So I know for some people a sabbath that word is wait a minute, isn't that the law? But I do have a conviction that I need to have a day for and everyone can do it differently. So this is I'm not going to put a heavy burden on someone and say you must sabbath. But for me Rest, real rest, and taking a full day off things and resting is important. And so that is a way for me to to not just re-energize. It's not that's not the purpose of it, but to connect with the Lord, to rest my mind, and to enjoy the people around me. So, and so that's another practical thing that I do, and a reason I believe it serves other people, and it serves. yeah, those around me and my work and and family. I'm so glad you brought that up because rest is one of the seven tenets of Hugo. We're actually going to be talking about that in an upcoming episode, but it just shows that it really, all of these seven things are so intricately woven together and rest really is a major part of well-being, not just caring for yourself, but also others encouraging others to rest but also in your own personal rest you are will be more physically emotionally spiritually able to care for those god has put in front of you because you have rested well i too you know make it a a priority not in a legalistic way certainly but um i just know how much i need that sabbath kind of rest not just you know a day off but a day that actually is rejuvenating to my soul and i know that it does rejuvenate my soul so much that i actually anticipate it every every week. It doesn't feel like a burden, like, oh, I can't work. I can't get my lengthy list of to-dos done. I actually look forward to it because I know how life-giving it actually is. I also want to mention, because I think this is really important for well-being, is mental health. Like, our, We talk so much about, or I've talked so much about spiritual, which I also believe can be mental and um, physical, but one of the things that I, I have learned, and I know you're about to talk about rest, so I will not go too far into this, but I um, I did some a little bit of research on rest and Sabbath for a book I wrote. And w- what I learned is that a lot of people, they might have to make it, it may be easy to sit, but it's hard 
for their minds to rest. And so I just wanted to encourage those who are listening um, that that's something that's very important. And as we're thinking about well-being, we have to think about our minds and our mental health as well, because it's we're not disbodied. It's not it's all a part of our body. Right. We're one person with all the different facets of creation. Yeah. Well, with that, is there a is there a way then? Do you have any suggestions for that? I'm thinking of my own mental health and how, you know, on those Sabbath days when I'm looking at, you know, staring at my lengthy list of to-dos, I can easily just sit there, but maybe my mind, like you said, is still spiraling on all of those things that I need to accomplish. For me, one of the ways that I can actually kind of separate myself from the mental clutter that is sitting in front of me is to change up my scenery, like actually leave my house. Maybe that's take a walk, go out in nature, go somewhere else where I'm not seeing the constant need right in front of me. But that's just me. Are there other things that you can think of that would help or mitigate some of that mental clutter that happens even when we're sitting absolutely still? Yes, I believe that there's a few things. One, you're right. I, I often change sceneries, go take a walk, go. I um, road cycle or have it in a little while, but I will grab a, it's like once you get on, it's probably about two, at least two hours on a bike. And so those are a few things that that I have done. Another thing is, is that if something comes to mind, I might write it down, like have a sheet of paper where I write it down and I can put it out of my head. It's because it's not bad to have a thought, oh, I need to do this. Just you want to take it captive and, and remind yourself that you're not God and you you can't just keep going. So you have to stop. Um, and for some people, it might just be helpful um, to see a counselor. Like that might be what they need for their well-being. And so... Uh, I encourage people to do that, um, to, to get the help that they need because, um, because there's lots of different people and different, um, things that, that we need. And so for some, if I say, take captive your thought, they might just two thumbs up me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. I can do that. Um, but that's what scripture says. And I do believe that is possible by the power of the spirit, but you also may need to see a counselor and work through what it is that you're anxious about. And so I think that. Right. To even know what that means to take every thought captive. I think a counselor can really help you define that and help you put into practice what that looks like. I think two things that have always helped me as I am sifting through the needs put in front of me. One, I, I always have to remember there is a hidden cost that I don't that isn't necessarily always um, as obvious. So let me give you an, a, a, for instance, my family and I volunteer at a soup kitchen once a month and, and I, it is right in line with my own giftings and passions. I think that's another fine litmus test. You know, what has God already gifted you in? I love to cook for people. So that was just an easy yes. And we've enjoyed that immensely. But then an opportunity came up for me to organize and lead one Saturday a month, not just show up and cook, but actually do all of the shopping and the planning. And at first I thought, well, that's not really going to add too much more to my plate. But what I was forgetting is all the mental clutter and the mental time that it would take to think of the meals, plan the grocery list, go do the shopping, all these hidden, the hidden cost that wasn't as obvious. And I realized that I would actually become a detriment 
to that ministry, if all of that was placed on my shoulders, than if I just stuck to the the job that God had originally, you know, put me in. I would actually be more of a burden on the ministry, not doing it well, I should say. Um, so think definitely think about the hidden cost that a ministry opportunity would present. Especially when we're thinking about well-being. Um, if we're thinking about well-being, one of the problems is that we can be a yes, yes, yes <laughs> and stretch ourselves too thin. Well, we're not going to care well for ourselves if we're stretching ourselves too thin. We're going to, one, we'll probably drop a lot of balls and not do anything well. It's just not healthy. So when you're thinking about, I think that's really wise that you discerned, wait a minute, the cost is um, one time, my family energy and if I can do this one thing really well and give myself to cooking, I don't have to lead it. I think that's wise. And um, and I'm increasingly limited. And that's why we try to find one organization or one thing because we can't do it all. So trying to find that one thing for us has been so helpful Um because we we still we have such a heart for various things we get to serve we get to pour in but we're not stretching ourselves too thin and that i think is really it helps us to keep going and to to stay faithful to what god has called us to mhm to be able to give it a yes that doesn't lead to a no somewhere else I think the the second thing that I always try to keep in mind is, you know, it's really easy to like think, oh, I'm going to do this new startup. I'm going to start this new ministry. I see a need over here. But before we jump headlong into launching a brand new thing, let's stop for a second and and stop maybe praying, God, what do you want me to do? And maybe begin to shift that prayer a little bit and say, God, what are you already doing? And how can I partner with somebody who's already in the thick of this ministry um, to help them as opposed to, you know, just launching some brand new thing? I think too often we're not seeing where God is already moving and aligning ourselves up with that. So Trillia, to wrap up, I'm wondering, what is the difference between the care that maybe a Christian or even the church as a corporate body of believers would provide than, say, just like a social initiative or a charitable work that the world would provide? Both are offering care, but what should be the difference? I think the individual and the corporate is similar in that we have a command to love God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And of course, because of God's common grace, we're all all people are made in the image of God. Um, there, there are people who don't know Jesus who love, of course. But I do believe that there is a a um, not just this compelling in a in a oh we have to, but this deep love for neighbor that will lead us to to act and and serve because we want to show the love of God um to all those who who are around. And so I do believe that as we're thinking about this care for others, I, I think that there is a general people love people. Um but for for the Christian we have a a calling uh, a and a calling to to love our neighbor as ourselves. I 
I think that's one of the major differences is just that we will be um, compelled by the love of Jesus to love others. I think that we're also, at least in, in terms of the Christian heart, not going to look at or shouldn't look at what questions like, what can they do for me or what can they give for, to me or politics. So it will be, we're, we're going to be motivated to serve, um, not because of a certain political affiliation, but, or, or anything like that, but, but because, because of Jesus, because he loved, um, all sorts of people and served all sorts of people. So, so I do think that often in the in the world or in society, we might say, "Oh, because I'm a this, um, I'm I'm going to serve this people." But ah, uh, these people not so much. <laughs> but that's not the Christian way. When we look at humanity, we see a need for um, them to know the Savior and to be loved and served. And so we we see those two needs and we should act accordingly to, to all people um, created in the image of God, um, all nations. So, so we're not going to withhold based on certain um, affiliations or ideologies. Um, and we're not going to extend only because of certain affiliations and ideologies. James Two actually addresses it, the sin of partiality. We don't want to fall into that. It's our it's going to be a temptation, but for the Christian, we're going to be motivated to care and love and serve all sorts of people. Yeah, I think the agenda is different. And I hesitate to use that word because it comes with all kinds of connotations, but I think we would be lying to ourselves if we said we didn't have an agenda in our care for self or the, you know, care for others. I think that as a believer, my agenda would be my compulsion in my love for Jesus would then compel me to love others. And then to care for myself, I'm not just caring for myself to just fill up my self-care tank or to feel good. It really is that I can care for myself in such a way that I have um the ability to care for others. And I think that's what Jesus exemplified when he walked the earth. He wasn't just caring for self because it felt good or because, you know, it was his right or or whatever reason. It was he wanted to be fully able to do the will of his father. And so for sometimes that meant to go away, to draw away from the crowd and to replenish. It really is a difference between just feeling good and actually re rejuvenating your whole holistic self. Trillia, I want to know, um, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, one of the core foundations of Huga is that the outer life will always affect the inward life. So I want to know what is one outward something that you've enjoyed lately that maybe has really helped to reorient your inward life? Yeah. Okay. So one thing I have been doing that I'm just not going to ever stop, I don't think. Well, we'll see. I have been sitting on my porch reading. I know that sounds so simple, <laughs> but I love to be outdoors, but I can't always go hiking. And so what I've realized is I just sitting out on my porch has been so refreshing. And what's neat about it, it's allowed me to... Um, 
it's one refreshed my soul and refreshed me and and but so my kids and my family they'll join me and sit out there but I've talked to my neighbors all the time. So it's been a sweet way to also just enjoy and love and um and care for na- my neighbors. So it's it's just been delightful. I know that is so little, but that is something I think has been a real gift in this season is just sitting on my porch and um being refreshed by by the Lord as I sit. <laughs> and I think it's the little things. I think a Hugely lifestyle would proclaim it's those little things, the simple pleasures of life that get elevated because we are mindful to notice them and be grateful for them and really sit and be present in them. I'll add to that. I, I have a book box in front of my house, one of those little free lending libraries. And I one of my favorite things to do lately, especially now that the weather is is still nice. I don't know how long that will be, but for now, it's still nice. I take a book out of my box and then I walk up a street or two and exchange it for a book in another box. And as I'm doing that, you know, I pass my neighbors and can chit chat. It really does open up doors of communication and the the other book box owners will come out and make comments about what I'm depositing. And it it actually has just acted as like a gateway to relationships in my neighborhood, all the while kind of filling me up because it's something that I enjoy. Well, friends, you and I might not have a small plot of land to escape to like the Danes when things start to go a little sideways in our lives, but chances are we do have a home. And when we can make just a few simple tweaks like Trillia was mentioning to both our outward spaces and also our commitments, we will no doubt see some of the lasting effects on our mental, on our social, on our physical, and even our spiritual health. Thank you so much for joining us, Trillia. This has been delightful. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Well, Matthew twenty two thirty nine 39 reminds us that the second greatest commandment is that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And that means that both are important, love or care for ourselves and love and care for others. And that's really at the heart of a Hugely tenet of well-being. Be sure to grab your very own copy of Holy Huga, Creating a Place for People to Gather and the Gospel to Grow if you want to learn more about how you can dole out lavish ways of love and care to your family and your friends and your neighbors. And check back with me the next time as we take a closer look at the Huga Lee tenet of atmosphere. For now, I just want to send you off with a benediction of well-being. And it comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and your soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it.